Hello and welcome to another edition of Backstage. It's a pretty special one because we're going to be talking all things COVID-19. Now, uh, what's happening back here in Australia? We're getting a lot of information and some of this information is correct. Some of it's uh, very hard to digest. I got a, uh, something in my inbox the other day and it pretty much said if you drink hot water, wash your hands and steer clear from your neighbour, you'll probably knock this COVID on the head. So I thought uh, with all this sort of stuff floating around, it's better off to speak to people a lot smarter than myself. So... I've been able to get hold of uh, some doctors all over the planet, uh, and as I said, men a lot smarter than myself. Uh, now, introducing the guests in no particular order, uh, the first is Dr. Chris Mobbs. Now, he's a senior staff specialist at the University Hospital Geelong Emergency Department, and that's the A&E if you're in the UK. Uh, he also works for Racing Victoria as the industry doctor at race meets all around the state of Victoria. Uh, he's the front man for a Foo Fighter cover band, uh, and he has his own podcast called Inside the Hellosphere. So if you're Molly Meldrum, as he says, do yourself a favor and check it out. Uh, my second guest is Dr. Matteo Beltamaki. Did I pronounce that correctly? I hope so. Yeah. Uh, he's a sports medicine specialist based in Varese, and now this is only 30 k's from Milan, so one of the epicenters for this pandemic. Uh his three main jobs are a team doctor for the Mitchelton Scott Pro Cycling Team, the medical director of a sports clinic in Varese, and a full-time dad, particularly during the last 30 days because he's been in forced lockdown. Uh, I worked with Matteo uh, in my final year at Green Edge, and we trained him up on how to speak Australian, so I'm looking forward to his <laughs> insights. And last but not least is William Wallace. Uh, sorry, it's James <laughs> Shepherd. He's coming in strong from Scotland. He's a specialist in infectious diseases and currently a clinical research fellow at the MRC Centre for Virus Research in Glasgow. As I said, very smart guys on the show today. His hobbies usually involve rugby and going to the pub, both of which have been viciously stolen from him uh, by COVID-19. And he's spending most of his time with his wife and two young daughters. Now, if it's any consolation, uh, Shep, uh, I had tickets to go see Backstreet Boys in May, and it's looking very <laughs> doubtful, mate. Oh, mate. Uh, and apologies have come through from your wife regarding your hair as lockdowns come at the worst possible time in your haircut cycle. Now, now, fellas, uh, I want to kick things off with you, Matteo. You're living in, as I said, one of the epicenters of this pandemic. Uh, what is life like there at the moment, mate? Well, I'm actually, um, have to say that uh, there is a double perception of, uh, the, of life. The, the first perception is uh, the one that you live at home in a completely locked down. So the one, uh, the one uh, inside the affection of the family, you feel a uh, protector, you feel uh, you have no worries, you just focus on uh, the needs of your children, if any. Uh, you go on day by day with life, normal life, uh, waiting, the authority tell you you are free to go out, uh, also to, to let your dog uh, do the PP. <laughs> and yeah, the second is that, uh, is the, the second life that the television, the, the journalists told, uh, tell, uh, tell you. So just the number of infection, the death, the health system, how it's going, the economy. And um, the, the life in Italy is, uh, the north of Italy is very, uh, bet the the images, mate, that we're seeing um, here in Australia have been uh, devastating and and really shocking. Um, 
Chris, I'll, I'll ask you, mate, uh, how's uh, the, the industry in Australia been taking a lot of these in, uh, images that we've been seeing um, coming out from Italy? Yeah, I, I, I think when, when we set this up, Dan, I, I, you know, I was, um, I had to say to you that, you know, that I, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad Matteo said what he said because there's very much, I think, there's two things going on. There's the, there's the subjective experience of all of us, and we have, we have a choice of, of how much of that media we take in, you know. Um, and my choice, my personal choice, has been to, I mean, I've been focused on the medical side of things which I'll, we'll come to, I suppose, our preparation. And we're at a totally different phase from, um, from, from Italy, obviously. Um, but then, you know, as far as your intake of, of, of the media and, and the images and the figures and, and, and that sort of thing, I think people have got to be really careful about this. Um, you know, it's unheralded, you know, unless you, unless you go back 100 years, none of us have been through anything like this as a planet. And uh, I, I'm just really concerned, apart from, I mean, there's so many unknowns. We don't know how bad it's going to get. There's lots of different estimations, but and, and, and I'm sure James will know more about this than I do, but that the amount of, of these images that we're taking in uh, through whatever media, social media or, or television, um, I think has to be, you know, you've got to be really careful with that. And I personally... Um, chosen i'm not on any social media i haven't been for six years or seven years and we don't have television in the house i i've, I've just avoided news uh, to protect my family to protect my young children's uh, well-being um, i'm not burying my head in the sand because i'm completely immersed in it at work in, in, in all types of work but the sense i get from my interactions with people when people come to me at horse races or in the hospital and say look really what's what's going on how bad is this and my sense is that everybody's just working themselves up into this terrible state, which can't help you at all. Um, so I don't know if I really answered your question there, but I, I, I just wanted to be really strong with that message that we're just saturated with news 24-7. We have been for 30 years. The Internet's happened and social media's happened. And this has come along on top of all of that. And I know we're going to get to the isolated people, the people with mental health issues and people that don't have those issues. Um, I think no matter how robust you are, if you're, com if you're continually given distressing messages from the media, and that's all there is apparently at the moment, there's no other news in the world, then even the hardiest of people are going to struggle, I think. Um, yeah, I think, I think you make a good point because um, I'm often uh, reminded by uh, my wife, Sarah, who's a doctor, that I'm not medical. So when, <laughs> when you don't really know what's going on, you do reach out to all these messages that, that are coming um, our way. Um, James, I want to ask you, mate, can you just give us a bit of background on your current position on all of this and, and what your thoughts are from what you've heard from uh, Matteo and uh, Chris? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm, um, I'm an infectious diseases specialist um and i've taken some time out of that at the moment to uh to do some research into viral diseases so i've been doing that for like the last two years and um kind of interestingly this is a this is the kind of thing i'm researching so like emerging viruses and how we how we detect them and how we diagnose them and most of my work on that's been done in in africa um but obviously this has come along I mean, I've, I've, if it wasn't so awful, you know, it would be, I would, it's very interesting to me because it's kind of what I've been um, researching. So, um, so I've kind of 
couldn't pause the research I was doing on the stuff in Africa and I've kind of moved my research over to to responding to the to COVID-19 from a from a research um point of view so we can maybe talk about that later but just going back to what Chris said about about the information um so I'm um I would agree with him it's 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 going to be very difficult to to ma to manage that given that there, there is nothing else on the news. So, like over here, every, anything that would have distracted people, like sport or whatever, has been mm. has been cancelled, um, and and so that so people are kind of relentlessly getting this information off of off of the news. And uh, and I mean, I I think I can handle. You know, I have I have things to do at home. I have a family. I've, I'm still working, which you know really helps. Mm. So I'm still obviously engaged in in doing in doing something that keeps me busy. But for people that don't have work and are just stuck at home and, and maybe people who don't have family or, or, or are alone, I think the constant, you know, and all they've got to watch is this news is um, um, that that's going to cause trouble going forward. Yeah. Do, do you think that the reactions from governments um, globally um, have been justified or, or do you think that there's been a little bit of hysteria as well? Um, I, I think... Um, I mean, we didn't. Nobody's seen this virus before, right? So we've only known this thing existed for three months. It's only been in the human population for three months. So, and 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 initially there was a lot of we weren't really sure about you know how infectious it was, how pathogenic it is, and once it gets into people. So, various governments have taken you know different steps and and treated it differently. So I, I think it's very difficult to to say. You should have done this. You should have done that. Given that there was very little information initially, what I would say is that I would. I, I think it's becoming apparent that governments that acted quickly and took kind of more extreme measures quickly um, are seeming to be getting on on top of it a bit better. So places like South Korea, Singapore, uh, Hong Kong, they kind of came in very hard with them um, with social distancing, with quarantine, with testing very quickly. And they seem to be seeing a much less, a lower number of cases and a less severe outbreak on the back of that. So, um, I would, I would, uh, going forward, I think we need to maybe, um, we maybe look, need to look at more severe restrictions, like we, like a lot of places have in place now. Um, obviously, going back to um, what I'm ingesting from the media, uh, obviously there's a lot of talk on what's happening in uh, the UK. Uh, what's the current situation with the, the NHS uh, over there? And, and have you been talking to um, many of your colleagues in the in the industry as well and how are they going? Yeah, so I, I'm coming involved in it from the NHS up here in Scotland and we haven't really seen that many. You know, I think we have about a thousand cases in the country I think about in my area we have about 250 people in hospital and of them not all of them are are requiring intensive care so we're kind of handling it at the moment but I'm not sure how, how it's going to pan out pan out in the next few weeks I think down south in London there's they've got a lot more cases and I think they're struggling a lot more there with intensive care capacity um and also a lot of staff are off sick a lot of staff seem to have got it um and a lot of staff are self-isolating because they have symptoms so I think down south, it's uh, it's a bit more of a it's a bit more of a struggle. Yeah, uh, Matteo, um, why do you think this virus spread uh, so fast in uh, Italy? In Italy, they always say that they agree completely agree with uh, the WHO um, 
the recommendation. I think that's uh, sometimes the, uh, they should have been a bit more severe rules. early, more severe yeah. and in time. I think that's the perception here is that the, the virus coronavirus is always five, six, five from five to ten days more in front of us by choice, by our choice, uh, the Italian choice. Um, we were the, the first that uh, um, spread such a dramatic news about the contagious. Other countries, in particular French and, and uh, UK, I hope no one gonna hate me, but uh, maybe shut up sometimes. Uh, I was shut up before. For example, in Italy, they, we say that the, the world know that the mortality rate is more is close to be 10 percent. It's not real. If you look at somewhere like Germany, who have tested thousands and thousands and thousands of people, the mortality rate in Germany is much smaller, and that's just because they've tested more people. Yeah, so they yeah. know that there's a lot of people who have very mild yeah. symptoms, whereas in the UK and maybe in Italy as well, certainly in the United States, the testing capacity is much lower. And uh, we just, so we're only testing the very sick people. So that gives <laughs> a very skewed, the, the numbers appear skewed. Um, yeah. And just touching back on your, your point about the health, you know, it's not just COVID. If you're, you know, if your ICU is full of patients with COVID, then you can't do big cancer operations. You, you know, if someone comes in with a, a myocardial infarction or has a, has a cardiac arrest and they need to go to the ICU, that person isn't gonna do as well. Um, so it really, it kind of, if everything's clogged up, it, it impacts on, 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 on very common things that, that you might be able to manage much better, but the management of that's going to be impaired now because, as you said, the system's clogged up with patients with COVID. Um, Chris, what we're seeing um, globally as well, when uh, Matteo's talking about um, hospitals collapsing and healthcare systems collapsing, um, they're having to call on uh, a lot more support from people that were retired. I think they're talking about in Australia, they're going to um, fast track um, people that um, haven't quite finished their university qualifications to get them in if, if possible. Um, what are those sort of things that, that uh, you're sort of preparing for back in, in Geelong? Well, there's, there's so, yeah, where to start? There's, the, the thing is that with all of this, there's been an enormous amount of corridor conversations going on, you know? Um, so I've heard all of that and we've spoken to students and we've spoken to the local medical schools and, and I, I, all I can say is at the moment there's no plans to, uh, to be using students right now, today, as, as uh, interns, as doctors, fast-tracking them through, but that could all be different next week. But what's happening is that we're in, we're, we're, well, in Australia, we're in such a period of uncertainty. This is exactly like the calm before a cyclone. Everybody's raiding the supermarkets to buy tin stuff. The, I've never worked three such quiet shifts in the ED as I did the last three shifts I worked. There were beds everywhere. We're practicing all of our processes for donning and doffing personal protective equipment. What do we do if this happens? What do we do if that happens? It's all that if, if you've got a situation where everything begins with a what or a why or when, you can't, you can't say, there are no answers. I mean, we, we, in emergency medicine, which is my specialty, we deal with uncertainty all the time. I mean, it's just how we exist. It's, you know, it's abdominal pain. It could be this or this or this or this. And we get used to living in, with uncertainty. So that's kind of, we're, we're kind of in that situation ramped up. 
um, to an enormous degree. The, um, I think the problem people are having is that everyone's looking for answers. And I've heard blame stuff as well. It started off with whatever that person in charge of America said, you know, um, about Chinese people. And then it's, oh, the old people are going to get it. The young people are fine. And actually, that's not true. Healthcare workers are fine as long as we use person. No, actually, there's just so much uncertainty. And when people are forced to live in uncertainty for a, a, an extended period of time, that's when you see reality start to bite. And I think that's where we're getting to now. When people go out, and at first it's like, oh, you know, we're all going to be locked down. There's all these funny memes being thrown about. But now it's actually starting to bite a little bit. And people, um, you know, humans by nature of, I'm just going to get a little bit philosophical for a second. Apologies. We live in a constant state of denial. We have to because we're aware of our own mortality. We know it's coming, but it's, it's there. It's somewhere in our future. All of a sudden, as a global population, we're being asked to live with this enormous amount of uncertainty. And it's hitting home in a really uh, sinister way because it's the corridor conversations. Well, where's the, where's the vaccine? You know, uh, isn't this a, a plot by so-and-so to the banks and this and that? And it's just, there's so much misinformation. And throughout it all, the medical professionals, we're expected to give the answers, which is happening all the time. And I'm sure it's happened uh, to James and Mateo as well. Hey, you know about this, but we just don't have the answers yet. We just don't. Mm. And therefore, we're existing in this constant state of uncertainty. And that is really, really hard for humans to, to, to deal with. Now, I've got much more positive things to say um, about our situation, you know, in Geelong, I suppose. But um, I just want to acknowledge this kind of this, this, this sort of this roller coaster, this sort of gathering fear that everybody's got without evidence. We exist. We're existing with tiny bits of evidence. Um, that, that will come. The epidemiologists and people like James, you know, will, will, will map this thing and we will know more. But at the moment, we really don't know. All we've got yeah. is the horror show in New York or in Milan or in, you know, uh, Sydney, potentially, or London, the south of England, as James said. Um, but really, we don't know. And it's very, mm. very hard to exist in that state for an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, James, can you give us some certainty, mate? <laughs> with your research. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's the answer? Uh, yeah. Um, where's that, where's what, that what, vaccine coming out, James? Uh, yeah, come on. Go hold your breath. Um, one thing I want to ask you about is, do you know anything around, that? like obviously my wife's um, a doctor and, and there's a lot of anxiety now, uh, particularly because of what's being put out there, uh, around the rate of healthcare workers that seem to be getting quite sick uh, is that from just more exposure or is there something else uh, with this virus? I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, the virus is really, really easily transmissible. So, you know, people, it just seems to explode. You know, it, it's very hardy. It kind of seems like it survives on surfaces for ages. So, and there's, a you know, we're not really 100% sure. Is it air, like the, the actual mode of transmission? Um, there's some questions as to as to whether or not the PPE is appropriate, and I think the PPE that we're we, we're being told to use, I think it is appropriate given what we know. Um, are healthcare workers at more risk of severe disease? Is that was that was that your question? I guess. 
I guess. Um, yeah, I think I think it's more. Um, there's there's if you're a healthcare worker and you're exposed to more patients, um, is there obviously more chance of contracting COVID? And and it seems like uh, there's a, a lot more that are, are having serious side effects rather than um, you know having just minor symptoms and, and getting over it quickly. Well, I, I guess I think it's quite anecdotal. I don't think anyone's done the numbers, but as healthcare workers are always more at risk of being exposed to to these things. Um, so you're going to that's going to bias the data because you're going to see lots of healthcare workers exposed. That's just going to happen because you're you're dealing with patients that are sick. I mean, there may be a dose effect. So if you're you're you're, you're dealing with someone who's very unwell and they're they're needing intubated or they're, they're getting some aerosol aerosol generating procedure, you might get a higher dose than you might get from normal transmission. But I don't think there's been any clear signal for that um, at the moment. Um, I think it, the, we all know, I think we know now that the strongest risk factor for a poor outcome is age. Um, and I'm, um, you know, I, I get a bit anxious about when, when people say, okay, we're going to get all these retired doctors and get them back in the front line, you know, that, that it makes me a little bit anxious. You know, do we do we need to be doing that? Um, but as far as healthcare workers experiencing more severe disease, I don't I don't think there's any data on that. I think we're just going to have to come back at like Chris said and say I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think I can. I mean, I can speak to the the, the process. There, there's a lot of um, and this this is I think this is one of those situations where people are you know you, you say yourself that when we spoke the other day when as soon as a couple of doctors or a doctor and a physio or a nurse get talking they very there's, there's there's a there's a language um that that seems um impenetrable um a way of communicating and i think people are you know not not even people that we think of as having poor health literacy but just you know well educated people are scrambling to become educated in quite complex things, really. I mean, if you're talking about epidemiology, virology, um, the human immune system, um, patterns of transmission, how to intubate, what, 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 does, what does intensive care mean? I, I, I imagine that most people hear life support machine and kind of think of that scene in airplane with the beepy, you know, the beeping mm -hmm. machine or whatever it was. You know, these are complex issues that people are kind of struggling to learn. And um, I wanted to reassure, I suppose, not reassure, but I wanted to speak to the efforts that are being made by um, certainly my college, the Australian College for Emergency Medicine, um, and I'm sure other colleges to really put, you know, to use this calm before the storm that, that we have at the moment to really get in place all of the processes that we need from I mean I'm talking about minutiae. I was just looking at the college website uh, that's especially for COVID. You know how to ventilate, how to set the machine up that breathes for you, the life support machine. The best way to do it. You know this is this is this is the sort of pressures we want to be setting. This is the volumes and this is the sort of ventilation. These are really specific things that I mean I feel for my brothers and sisters in Italy so much because it feels like you guys were just you know overwhelmed with this thing before you had the chance to really put these things in places whereas here in australia we're we're doing all we can to mitigate that sort of uh being taken by surprise by this thing so for example somebody came into my uh emergency department yesterday with um on a ventilator on a life support machine for a completely unrelated issue you know nothing nothing to do with um with covid 
But because we had to change him from the ambulance ventilator, life support machine, to ours, the whole of the uh, resus room was covered in plastic. Everybody done, like the whole thing was done, you know, over the top, way, 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 way more uh, care before even disconnecting the tube and reconnecting it, having turned off the ventilator. You know, these are these, it's extreme measures. That I've, I've been a doctor for 25 something years, six years. I've never seen anything like this. People are pulling together, uh, making sure everyone's okay, checking each other. They, you know, you, you sure you know how to take this on and turn it off? You know, I wanted to reassure, I suppose, if anyone's going to watch this in Australia um, or wherever they watch it, that health professionals are really pulling together with this. You know, this is our sort of, this is our, one, please God, once, once in a lifetime uh, sort of battle. Mm. I want mm. to call it a war. Uh, I don't know if it's a good idea to ask to, um, to ask the retired and the, the young doctor to go into COVID, uh, um, the COVID into the, um, the front line. The, yeah, the, the train, the trenches, yeah. the, the, the first line, because this has happened. That's, uh, for example, the, I, I think that they won't call me. If they call me, I will go because I'm the personally, I'm not worried for sure. I'm, I, I have some fear, but I'm not worried about the, the um, health repercussions. The, yeah, the disease. Yeah. The, the problem is that uh, if they call me, they put me, they, 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 they put me in the 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 emergency so as yeah. james say and i can manage a ventilator i can manage a chip up a cprp uh i can do uh i just can't my my experience is a nutrition is a, in um, heart uh, in heart disease but not in an acute uh in, a, in acute events but just in a management of the the heart problem and so has the all the differable uh, health problem can be postpo uh, postponed, postponed. Mm -hmm. can be, yep. okay. So I don't think is, uh, uh, in my opinion, is, I, I don't think is uh, uh, the one that can help us. According, uh, uh, according to the situation in Italy, what I think is that um, it's not only health personnel that we need, but in particular, several professional figures to form a real crisis unit. For example, logistic people, I don't know, engineer, I don't know if, uh, because now all is in the hand of the, the health um, minister. Administ Administrators. Yeah, yeah, the, the, in the health minister, minister is not a doctor. They are not uh, no. on the file. So they are just men. They try to do their best in Italy sometimes. They, even if they do their best, they do it, uh, shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, and uh, but because just the doctor, not because I'm a doctor, but the doctor here yeah, very good. But the doctor are not just the problem; is the manager of the problem. For example, mm. some some uh, some suggested, why don't give more responsibility to the, the the family doctor if the the family doctor can reach all that people can visit all that people uh, because they have the protection because the, the authorities are, uh, have a plan for that maybe 
also that people, young people, or also old people that has not any other problem can uh, can't arrive at that point that needs uh, to go to the hospital and uh, need to have a, a tube in the throat. Okay, those of us that are specialists in critical care, let's say, um, we will do the critical care work. But um, as I forgot who said it earlier on, but somebody said that you know we're still going to have people come in with kidney failure, heart attacks, broken mm. hips, everything else. What we need, and what I think will happen, is if if you're an orthopedic surgeon, you say, "Yep, yeah, forget about that. We've got it." You know, I don't, I don't, I don't spend an hour or or whatever making phone calls, ordering X-rays, trying to get somebody to see the patient with a broken <laughs> hip. The orthopedic surgeon says, "Yeah, we got it." And they come in and do that. The vascular surgeon, if they've got a, you know, a problem with uh, a bleeding aneurysm, you know, a blood vessel or something, they go, yep, we've got it. You know, the kidney failure, okay, the renal specialist takes care of that. So the, 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 um, my senior colleagues, the surgeons and, and uh, the physicians who, the way medicine's arranged is, is very, um, uh, very much along the lines of the, you know, the, the registrar in, in Australia registrar or sometimes even more junior will kind of see the referral from emergency and and eventually you know the, the consultant may see them but I think what we're going to see is the consultants play a bigger part in the early management of, of patients that need uh, acute care because let's not forget the, the all of the outpatient clinics are going to are going to close down and or, or have closed down or about to all of the um, non-essential surgery is going to stop so all of these people are, going to be, are still there, they still need their health care attended to. And where are they going to go? They're going to go to the GP, so, well, they're overwhelmed. They're going to go to the emergency department to say, well, you can't come here, or you can, but we're dealing with COVID. So I think you're not going to have to bring in a, you know, um, I know a, a, an endocrinologist, someone who specialises in diabetes, to start intubating a patient with COVID but they are going to maybe look after the person who comes in with an extreme complication of diabetes. Mm. Yeah. That makes and I, sense. Think, I think that's important. It's like, it's like keeping the, the day job going and getting the things yeah. that we, sh we should be doing well done well. And I think, as you said, um, we've seen the same thing here is that all the specialties have become much more proactive and in, in, as soon as someone shows up, they're on it and they're, and the, the radiology department have, be, have really expanded. So their scans are just happening immediately now and you can make decisions based on that. So yeah. um, that is encouraging to see here. Like certainly I'm sure it sounds like you've had the same experiences. Everyone has just said, okay, we're going to do what we do and make sure we do it really well and really quickly so that it takes the pressure off. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think that's one positive. We're seeing uh, these effects, um, disasters happening in, in places like Italy and that. But James, what, what's going to happen in these um, more sort of underdeveloped nations? I mean, how are they going to cope if places like Italy are struggling? Yeah, so I mean, the, the healthcare in these places, like Uganda, where I was, is a relatively well-developed African nation and it has what's thought of as quite a good healthcare infrastructure, but um, there's a lot of poverty there. You know, we're, we're all in lockdown, but we find it very difficult to, to how, how lockdown would apply there um and um i don't think they're i don't think they're aware of a lot of cases there but that might reflect a kind of disparity in testing so they don't have the same testing um ability um so yeah I'm, i am quite worried about africa and and what happens if if it if it gets into africa um 
or in a big way, um, because I don't think they'll have the, you know, the access to th things like intensive care that we see here is just it's effectively non-existent in comparison. Um, I, I there is a large young population in in Africa, so the kind of population demographics are very different to what we have. So maybe they've got a bit of hope there, and that there's a lot of more young people, and hopefully that we won't see as much severe disease and mortality. But I think it is. I would be worried about what happens in, in, in the context of a large outbreak there. So I suppose, guys, um, the million-dollar question is, uh, when are we going to see a bloody vaccine? Because uh, until, until we get that, I can't, I can't wrap my head around how anything's going to return to some sort of level of normality. Well, I've got yeah, a question, Chris. actually, for James. I mean, it's, it's, there's an old-fashioned way of, of, of treating things, which is to give the serum of recovered people to, uh, to sick patients. Um, I believe it was used in a Spanish flu outbreak 100 years ago and some. Um, so what that means is you take the blood cells out of the blood that people donate all the time, which they need to do, by the way. That's an important message. They need to keep donating blood during all this. And then if you've recovered from this, and obviously there's mutations, and James will be able to talk about that, but if you've recovered from it, then you've got antibodies within that serum that can then be used acutely to treat people. It's an ancient way of treating people with... Um, infectious disease but maybe it's faster than um well i've heard 12 months 18 months maybe for a for a um a vaccine yeah so i guess there's two two things that we really need we need good treatments and we need a vaccine so um convalescent plasma like you said is is, is actually currently being evaluated being evaluated in a few clinical trials mainly in america um mm -hmm. there's there's not there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that this worked for the 1918 influenza pandemic um, and we, we do use there is evidence that that it works for other infectious diseases like Lassa virus and things so there is a bit of a there is a bit of a um, history to that um, so I, that's going to currently being evaluated in trials um, another thing they're looking at is within someone's plasma what are the antibodies that are actually working on the virus so can they identify a particular antibody that people who recover develop um, and can they manufacture that antibody and use that as a therapy um, there's a couple of other drugs which are in trials so there's remdesivir which is an antiviral which was previously used against ebola it wasn't that if it um, wasn't that good against ebola but there's a signal that it might be quite good here you might have heard about chloroquine which um, yep. again appeared to be a huge amount of evidence for but that's being evaluated in trials um, and then they're also using some HIV drugs to see if they um, mm. work on on this. So, um, so I think protease and HIV protease inhibitors. So that those all need to be evaluated in a proper trial before we can say use them because they might be doing more harm than good. So there yeah. are a lot of trials, and and hopefully we should have some data on that soon. As far as a vaccine goes, um, it's very easy to make a vaccine, um, and there's currently. There's probably about 10 vaccine candidates at the moment. The problem is, does it work? And we, we, we don't know if we're going to get a vaccine that works. That's that's one of the scary things here is we, we might make a vaccine and it might not be very efficacious. So mm. vaccines need to go through three stages to, to, to become before we put them into practice. So kind of phase one clinical trials, um, phase two, where you look at the safety and then phase three, where you kind of look at it in a, a real world environment and Loads of groups are racing to get this out, but I, I can't see this happening 
I can't see any, and then you have to manufacture it and deliver it to everyone. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't, I don't see it happening. This certainly not this yeah. year. We're probably looking at about eighteen months. Um, if if we get one that works. So, okay, eighteen months. Um, say we uh, flatten the curve that we're all talking about now in the media, uh, and we get to a point where cases have sort of dropped off quite substantially. But because the population, people like me that aren't medical and all we've been fed is just fear campaign after fear campaign and we're seeing images in the hospital and that, I think the mental health side of this is going to take a big toll because people are going to be too scared to return to normality because you've seen images of young people particularly, you know, dying from this. Um, I, I want to ask you, uh, Matteo, how, how's the mental health side of things in Italy at the moment? I mean, you've been in lockdown for 30 days. We're a week in already. I've said it many times. I'm so sick of watching Frozen and the kids, like, just driving me up the wall. But but the mental health <laughs> side, mate, how, how are you going and, and how are you, your colleagues uh, in Italy and friends and family holding up as well? Uh, I think that's uh, – but. If I have to speak just for myself, I, I have to say that uh, in these uh, 30 days of uh, quarantine, I, I gained a lot of time for myself that since I was 25 years old, I never had. <laughs> uh, so, and also, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because uh, my wife is still working and uh, have a... And so the, the, for three hours a day, the, the babies go with the, 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 grandpa, the, the grandparents. So for, I have three hours of completely freedom to change my body, to change my, my, <laughs> my brain. So this is my perception. This is my feeling. Uh, for, I mean, for in general, speaking in general, I think that... Uh, uh, I love you know you know Dan. I love this country because uh, Italy, with uh, his um, good thing and bad thing, is is just a country that you can love. Also, if we have uh, yeah. mafia, we have uh, bad politics, <laughs> but we have a lot of bad, uh, very good things. So is is a is a, a country that you you can don't love. I love mm. this country. Yeah. And I think that the, the feeling of the, the person, of, the, of all the, 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 the Italian are to, to fight together for uh, the same stuff, for the same uh, goal. And, uh, you know, I, from yesterday, uh, I hope not fake, is there um, was the from yesterday night was the um, the news that we maybe we touch the um, the um, the peak so we in the in the in the, in the, in the last two three days we saw that the, the curve became uh, arrived at a, at a plateau and now uh, so and now the we 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 are seeing a, a descent of the of the curve, I mean curve or in contagious and uh, in contagious, I mean. So uh, as they told us that we reached the peak, uh, everyone is happy because everyone was involved in this, uh, and everyone fights together for the same uh, goal, and that's why I think that um, the brain, the thoughts are still positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the problem is uh, is not uh, the present and uh, for the, the mental problem. OK, 
okay but not just then not just the mental all the problems not, not just for the present as is not for the in the immediately future but is the distant future how is it, how is the economy will go how the the health will go uh because for sure the, this coronavirus has all the coronavirus will became in the autumn maybe i hope uh, i hope uh, james uh, can save some positive uh, uh, stuff but maybe became in a, a little bit weak uh weaker than he uh, is now uh so the problem is uh, the problem my talk is for the distant future mm. luckily luckily uh, uh, this country uh, i mean the average uh, people uh, for, for the for the average the people uh, just think about the present and the immediate immediately future yeah um chris obviously yeah, this is this is going to be a big issue um, back home. Uh, it seems like uh, you're a bit of a, a motivator among your crew. Um, <laughs> are you going to be taking on sort of part psychologist as well? You think? Yeah, well, I don't know what Sarah's told you, but I mean, look, I did um, I did some work for our college uh, a few years ago on um, the well-being of of, um, of doctors. You know, it's been a and and actually, and then I did another. Uh, I chaired another group for the local university to do with the, the well-being of the student population as well. You know, it's something that's really close to my heart. Um, okay, that that just to, just that I suppose those are my bona fides. That that the, the ironically the the answers lie in advocacy in the end. You know, at the political level for beds, for staff, for equipment. And guess what? I, I don't think I'm saying anything uh, controversial here. The, certainly in the UK, where I trained in in, uh, in London and in the NHS and and in Australia, there's been a systematic um, underfunding of, of health services for decades now. Probably certainly since Margaret Thatcher um, got this got a greengrocer called Griffiths in the 1980s to um, to take a look at the NHS, and that's where it all began: bed closures, hospital closures, you know, the whole thing. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about politics. Um, the, the the well-being side of things um i think i've got to look at the positives and uh, you're right I, and i you've got to as a as a, a leader of a team or as a you know as a senior doctor you you do have to lead from the front and it kind of goes back to um the other question about are people gonna you know you ask that are people gonna call in sick you know are they gonna refuse to do work i'd be really surprised i think you sign up for this gig and 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 you take this sort of stuff on you know, whether it's getting getting swung at, you know, by a drunk in the emergency department on a Saturday night or spat out or dealing with this, you sign up for this so you do the job. I think the, the positives are that the the fellowship of of, um, of of healthcare workers, just like you saw in 9-11 with the emergency services or post 9-11, you know, there'll be a pulling together. We're all, there's a sense of this being together. Like uh, my, my brother Matteo is going through it. You know, my brother James is going through it. It doesn't matter that you're 16,000 kilometers away. You know, you're my brother and you're going through it and we're there with you. You know, there's this kind of sense of oneness. And I think that's a really important thing to focus on. Um, there's already been, and this is a very um, uh, UK centric thing, but the Dunkirk spirit, 
you know, this sense of being in this together and it's a, it's a, um, it's a desperately difficult time, but we're in it together. And the only way we can get out of it is by helping each other and caring for each other. And so I think that's a really important message. Um, on a personal note, the last time I was in Italy was in September with my wife and three kids. And we went, we, at that time, we went to Rome and, and to Florence and, and out to Tuscany. And it was just, as always, is wonderful. Um, and the place we stayed in Rome, um, beautiful little, just a really simple little beautiful hotel. We emailed my wife today to say, we're really struggling. We're going to close. Would, would you perhaps maybe book a, a night or book some time for a year in credit so we can keep going? And we said, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to, we're going to book. We're going to give them some money to say, we're going to come and stay with you when this is done. Um, you know, because God knows we need Italy. You know, we, God yeah. knows we need Rome and God knows we need Florence and we need, you know, all of these wonderful places around the world that we love to travel to. So, Matteo, we're with you. Thank I hope. you. Um, James, uh, you are talking before that, you know, it could be sort of 12 to 18 months. Um, so what do you think the the predictions are, are saying or estimates on just how many people are going to be infected by this, um, even if they do take the, the um, social distancing and all those sort of things? Because for someone, as I said, it's not medical. Like All I'm seeing is the numbers going up and up and up. And if everyone's staying at home, you can't really sort of wrap your head around why that's sort of happening and if it does flatten what are going to be the non-negotiable rules that will have to be enforced until there is a vaccine or the you know how's all that going to work it's a really difficult question um i i, I it depends i mean it's going to be different everywhere in the world every government's going to kind of attack this differently um the problem is we're so interconnected as we've seen in the uk like most most of the cases in the u obviously all the cases in the uk have come from abroad so if there's an outbreak in one part of the world, life in the rest of the world isn't really going to be normal, even if everywhere everyone else eradicates it. So it's going to be very tough. I think the, the thing is the numbers are going up just now, but what you're seeing is people who were infected kind of 10 days to two weeks ago. So you won't see any impact of lockdowns or anything for a few weeks to months after they do it. Um, but it is going to be very interesting to see what they do after this, because they can't keep everyone locked up forever. So if they slowly release us and reduce the lockdown, but that will have to be combined with a very aggressive kind of epidemiology type response where they test people aggressively, you you, you isolate people who are waiting for a test or you isolate people that are positive. I think a model like that, which they kind of employed in South Korea, you, could, you can kind of have a degree of normality with ongoing infection as long as people comply with that. But if I'm honest, I really, I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to pan out. And, and I think a lot of the modelers and the people who make these predictions and models, they're not really sure. So the, in the UK, a lot of our modeling was based on a model, which the, the, the guys that did it reevaluated it as the data came out. And, and they realized that the, mo the initial model had not got it wrong, but it was inaccurate. Um, and as such, they, they adjusted the model. And that's what saw us, us change the, uh, the way we were at we were responding to the epidemic. So I think you need to remember when you see these models, kind of all model that I heard a good quote, all models are wrong, but some of them, <laughs> some of them are useful. 
So <laughs> all my own are useful. So just bear that in mind when you see these predictions. Um, now, guys, obviously, you know, you're all busy, living busy lives, and I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I want I want to give you a chance to each sort of yeah. sign off. Mateo, um, as I said, mate, we're all thinking of you over there and thinking of the Italian people. Uh, what what message do you want to finish on, mate, um, for everyone that's that's tuning in and listening? Well, in Italy, we always say, ce la faremo. It's like, uh, we will do that together and stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, slight message. James? No, no, it's very important. James, uh, what, what do you want to finish uh, for people in terms of a uh, couple of key things to remember when, when they finish uh, watching or listening to the podcast? Um, I guess listen to the listen to the, the people in charge because they are doing the best they can do in a pretty difficult situation, so follow their advice. Um, and if that advice is stay at home, stay at home. Yep. And Chris... Uh, I've got a feeling that uh, you're going to finish this on a positive note, mate, a, because we, we definitely need something. Um, okay. What, what do you want to wrap, wrap two, the show with, mate? Two things to say. One, one, one. the healthcare professionals have got your backs, really. Um, I want to just reassure people that we've got your backs. We, we, you know, you can trust us. And two, I'm going to plagiarise Muhammad Ali. Me, we. There you go. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I can't thank you guys enough. Um, obviously, it's a pretty stressful period and, and there's a lot of hard work going on um, on all departments, but uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time and, and there's a lot of valuable information there because, as I said, uh, I thought if you drank hot water, wash your hands and steer clear of your neighbours, you'd be bonzer. So there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, hopefully, yeah. Things are on the up, and, and as you said, just got to stay positive. But, uh, you know, as Thanks I said, for really, organizing really appreciate this, Dan. it. Dan, really, mate, thank you for organizing this. It's a really great thing you're doing. I really yeah, appreciate like being that. invited to do this. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Uh, great my pleasure. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll speak again soon, eh? Lovely to meet you. you. Cheers, boys. Thanks.